Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with my co-host Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, we have a special guest here in the studio today slash office, uh, Reverend Catherine Booth Olson. Catherine, how are you doing today? I am well. I'm staring at James's uh, Advent Christmas tree o books. <laughs> o books, that's right, yes. And, and my dead plant, which I like to highlight. As Let's much not as say possible. dead. Let's not say dead. It's dying. It's rejuvenating i don't know it's in the grave right now we'll see if it comes back out uh anyway catherine it's good to have you here this morning thank you for joining us glad to be with y'all today so i want to start our conversation today by talking a little bit about advent and why advent is different than christmas you know in in the secular world uh christmas season starts all the way back in whenever september and a lot of people think of Advent as just another Christmas part, another another part of Christmas. But Advent is actually a completely different uh, season than Christmas. And you are our Methodist expert in the room. Talk to us a little bit about why Advent should be separate from Christmas. Um. So. It's not just that it should be separate from Christmas. It actually is separate <laughs> from Christmas. So um, Advent is uh, the four Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas. Um, it is an intentional season of um, preparation. And as one who leans heavy into liking order yeah. and not chaos, yeah. one who likes preparation and planning and intentionality, um, but also recognizes the importance, especially for not only children, but I think adults, we need transition time. Yeah. Like very rarely can we just jump into something and be ready. Like if you're oh, going to so run true. a race, you train for it. Yeah. Um, and I think in this world, we're not really ready to understand really what Christmas, this holy mystery of Christmas. So Advent truly is a season of getting us ready to understand and encounter again the mystery. And then Christmas starts on Christmas Day, and then we get 12 days of Christmas. And we don't take Christmas down until we get to Epiphany. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Ever Um, since I have known you, Catherine, you have had a sign in your office that you put up around this time of year. Tell us about that sign. So I have a sign that was gifted to me by uh, the Reverend Dr. Um, Ann Brightwell McCord, who used to be on our CF. Shout out uh, for Dr. Ann. So, and it says, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year that comes from the song many of you uh, may know. Um, but I do think it is the most wonderful time of the year, the season of preparing and hoping. Um, I think a lot of times people get overwhelmed in this season. It's um, chaotic and it's yeah. um, dark and dreary. Like today is a rainy, dark and dreary day, but it's also, there's a lot to do. Like there's yeah. school finals and there's shopping mm-hmm. and there's um, there's a lot of life, but I think it is this really wonderful, beautiful time if we can calm all the other noise and we can really focus on what's important. Like this chance to like silence some of the, Silence some of the distractions, like, and really get our hearts ready for what. Yeah. And I think we, what we, we desperately need that. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I said, who decided, you know, as far as the secular calendar goes, that we were going to have Thanksgiving and then just a month later Christmas. Like, could we not have separated these two things? You know, could we not have put a little bit more space? <laughs> and her response was, then you would just have two more months or whatever the extended time of the chaos. Yeah. And I thought that was a very profound thought, like 
whatever space we have, it doesn't really matter. We are going to fill it with chaos mm. and we have to, it's our job to um, create that space. Like the world is not going to create it for us. Now, I do think Evan is incredibly countercultural. And I think it's interesting that for um, those of us who want to lean into that liturgical practice, um, that it is the start of the Christian calendar. It is yes. the starting of a new year, a new way of living and being and ordering. Right. Um, so. Are you one of the people who put baby Jesus in the nativity before Christmas he, Day? He's not out. He's okay. hidden away. He's, hidden he's away. not there yet. <laughs> I helped my mom set up her Christmas decorations when I was there for Thanksgiving. And she texted me the other day because I, I got to put out the nativity, which I do every year. And I got a text a few days ago. I said, where did you put baby Jesus? Like, it's not Christmas yet, mom. I hid him. <laughs> well, I do invite folks to come um, and drive by, you know, Northside, go down Kingswood, you know, past the middle school and you'll see the nativity is out and the baby Jesus is not, not in the crash. Like I haven't noticed that. So take <laughs> yeah, a little yeah, peek. About that. Well done, Northside. Although, you know, I don't know that the shepherds and the angels and they Mary all, and just like, everyone's there. And they just kind of waiting around for either. a month. <laughs> I see. I set it up like a whole thing. So I put the wise men like on the other side of the room and they get closer yes, as it gets closer. And yeah. then this year with my mom's, because she's got this really cool like pewter set that she's had mm -hmm. since like the 70s. And mm -hmm. my grandpa and my brother built built the actual like wooden stable for it. It's oh, wow. really, really cool. Um, and so I put the shepherds with the angel outside the nativity. They're like in the field. Baby Jesus was in a drawer and Mary and Joseph were kind of on the <laughs> chest like next to it. And then the wise men were on the other side of the room. There's a whole story developing. Yeah. Man. I like that. It's pretty good. But I think that would be an interesting question um, just for, end of, for the those who are listening to think like, what do you do to prepare yeah. For Christmas, and some of that's very practical. Like you just you're going to get the tree. Go get the mm -hmm. gifts. Um, and, yeah. You go buy the gifts. But if you can try to connect those to an act of worship or an act yes. of preparation, like if you can mentally just name that connection, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and give thanks that we have this season to um, literally get ready for gift giving, but also to truly get our hearts ready for the receiving this gift, this present again. Yeah. And one of the things that we talked about before and have, have discussed before many times, I think, is is the idea that this is the beginning of the Christian calendar. This is the Christian New Year, the first season, um, and that and that it is should be telling to us or meaningful to us that the Christian calendar begins not with a big event. And Elizabeth, you pointed this out. That it doesn't begin with the big event. It it begins with a process of preparation, mm -hmm. a season of preparation. And this year. I believe this is the longest advent you can possibly have because oh, really? you, because you get because Christmas is on Sunday you get four full oh. weeks of advent whereas sometimes you know when it's Christmas is short. on Saturday or whatever yeah it's cut short so um but this the the whole idea being that the Christian calendar begins with this not a not a big event like like most things in the world uh most secular events in the world are always about the big event the countdown to the big event but the big event is the beginning uh, and for us, it's it's four weeks of waiting for the big event or preparing, expecting, anticipating mm -hmm. the big event. That should say something, I think, about what it means to be a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Indeed. And I think so much of what it means to be a Christian is not, it is not the mountaintops of Easter or yeah. the joy yeah. of um, these spiritual highs or the the retreat you go on or yeah. this amazing day of worship or this moment of like, Revelation, it's the it's the slogging through of doing life, believing that God's going to show up in the everyday and the ordinary. That's right. That's good. 
Well, um, and that kind of also matches with our what we've been talking about in the Advent devotional, which is um, what I realized as I was I was teaching on this on Sunday, um, uh, is that you know half this devotional is really about God's prevenient grace and how God is preparing spaces for us even before we show up. So the whole first week was about how God. Um, it prepares the space for hope and how, you know, even before God created us, God, you know, created light and created the sky and created the ground and the plants and the animals and all these other things that came into existence before we were even there, um, preparing the space for God to, to plant us on the earth. And then this week, as we're talking about God hedges us with love, how God is already preparing a space for Adam in the garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, both in the garden of Eden. So, um, I want to let's shift to that conversation and talk a little bit about how uh, this week has played out for us and, and w- what kind of jumps out to us this week. I, I think my favorite part about the message this week was this idea that God has a purpose from us. And James, you said somewhere in here about God hedges us um, from the chaos with love by giving us meaning and giving us purpose. Like God has a call for us. Sometimes it's very difficult to discern that and figure that out, but there is a purpose. There is a call on our lives. Uh, and I think that's really, that's a good thing to remember. Like we're not, we're not just floating here, you know? Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that I, I, I mentioned this on Sunday, the Sunday school class, but I've, you know, I've read this story thousands of times probably in my life. You guys probably have too. I mean, that story of Adam and Eve and the creation of the Garden of Eden. Um, and one of the things I have never noticed, and it just means I, I know nothing about the Bible, uh, is, is in preparation for this devotional, I realized for the first time that God places uh, the, the human being that he created into the Garden of Eden to work the Garden of Eden and to care for it. And I've always worked under the assumption that, uh, that work was a was a result of sin that happens uh. in chapter three, where where God says, "Well, now you have to work the land," you know, or whatever. But uh, but He actually puts Adam in the garden, not just kind of lazily lay around and just been kind of be cool and just chill and not do anything, laying in a hammock all day. Uh, but rather, He puts him there with a purpose, with a meaning, with with meaning um, that kind of that, that in a way that that brings order to the chaos of of having no purpose. Uh, and he's there to work the land. He's there to work the garden and care for the garden as a as a co-creator, a partner with God in creation. And I think that's kind of that's really cool and that's something really I've never cool. noticed before. I I was thinking about that this weekend. I I was cleaning out um, my garage, and you know it's like a you know it's a fruitful project, right? And there's like a goal, and it feels good to get that done, right? Um, but I had been doing it for like hours and you know throwing stuff away and. And then I pivoted a little bit, walked outside, and I noticed that I had some, like, you know, plants that needed to be cut down, and there was a bunch of leaves, and so I started doing that, and after just a couple minutes of it, I felt this this change in my, just my perspective and my being, and I realized that, like, I get a lot more joy out of this because you're you're caring for something like and I'm, I'm you know trimming this plant down I'm thinking about how I know it comes back every year and you know it's 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 a lantana it sticks up it's really ugly right now because it died right mm-hmm. because it's so cold and I trimmed it down and I covered his little bear you know um, his bear spikes with leaves and I'm just thinking about what he's going to look like in the spring he's going to come back and he's so beautiful and there's just this beautiful purpose and fulfillment that comes at least for me when I'm outside caring for these beautiful plants and that just don't get that from doing something like organizing a garage like it's just stuff <laughs> you know it's all of our crap that you know is going to get sent to goodwill or it's going to sit in a box and it's just not the same feeling that God gives us in the dirt 
I will say one of the things that um, stood out to me as I listened to y'all and I think um, I have the privilege of being in a disciple one group and um, we are currently in the midst of Jeremiah and Isaiah. Ooh. And so the we're kind of in the thick of it, right? That's so, like um, and one of the things we're talking about is kind of how, um, what happens when things go wrong and there is <laughs> chaos and chaos and consequent, but the consequence and comfort. Yeah. And one of the things that I, that stood out to me in this, as you talked about, originally you thought of working the land as maybe consequence. Yeah. But one of the things that kind of disciple turns on its head was this, uh, the ability to serve God, to be in relationship with God is actually a source of comfort. The ability to partner with God is actually can be, if we can change our lens, it is actually really comforting to join with God and God's work. And so much of God's work is gardening. Yeah. And when Jesus says, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear good fruit. Well, what does it mean to start think of our of ourselves as gardeners who will water and prune not only ourselves and others, but like yeah. literally water things that will grow, but also prune things that don't need to grow. And yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought it was just interesting that we often think of serving or work as burden, but it actually it's, could be a source of comfort. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. And I, I think if we read carefully through the story, as as I've been reflecting on it. Um, a story of of the Garden of Eden and and this human being being placed there. This is this is God's original design and purpose for humanity. This is this is what God originally wanted, you know, and still does and still will fulfill. But this is this is the purpose. This is the whole point of why we're here. And it, what you realize is, so many of us think that the the um, reason that we become Christian or the reason that we want to um, follow Jesus and, and, and serve God. Like you were talking about Catherine is, is because we get some kind of cookie at the end. Like Mm. we get to go to heaven or whatever. Right. And that's not it. Uh, If we, if we look at what is, is, is coming out of the story is the reason that we follow Jesus is because this is the only way that we can find the peace of the true meaning of who we are. Uh, the way that Wesley talked about being restored into the image of God, that's, that's what Adam is here. That's what Adam and Eve are both here, uh, as these, as these, community of people who together make up the image of God um, that are working with God in this garden of creation. And I think there's something to be said about that in the sense that rather than trying to trying to get a reward out of what we do with our faith, um, we get a sense of peace and, and actually fulfill our purpose. And I think that's, Catherine, gets to what you're talking about. what y'all might say to someone who's listening who goes I'm seeking to be faithful I'm curious about this Jesus but I don't know my call I don't know my purpose like I have a good job I have a a good family or maybe I have a crummy job or maybe I have no family but I don't Mm -hmm. know what my call and purpose is like how do I find it like where like is it where can I like where is it like what would you say about either where you find it in this Advent devotional or where have y'all found it in scripture or how are you finding it in your own life? Cause I know Nate does a lot of that for our students yeah, yeah. as they are trying to discern that, but what jumps out I, at you? You know, you say students and I one, the first thing that jumps out to me is we put so much pressure on students and kids these days to uh, try to figure out what they're going to do with their life, to figure out what their purpose and call is that that stuff gets echoed and shadowed later on in life. 
I don't know that it's that important to try to figure out what your one purpose and call is because I don't know that it really works that way. I think there are moments of call where you're called to do and be in a season or a place. Um, but the, the purpose is, is to, is to be co-creators. If we're talking about this story, you know, is to be co-creators and partners with God in this project of creation. And, and that, uh, can take on many different facets, uh, in, in our daily lives to daily take up the cross and follow Christ. That is the call and purpose of every disciple. I I think the image of bearing fruit is the thing that comes to my mind, right? We can think about, or uh, judge is a tricky word, but judge what we are doing and what we think we're supposed to be doing by the fruit it bears um, in our lives and other people's lives. But um, I was talking to a church member yesterday and she used the words, um, here I am, send me. So when we say that to God, that is, and that struck me as just being so powerful. And I, I try and, you know, it's that, that Wesley covenant prayer that I love so much. It's like, you know, whatever it is that you have for me, God, I'm going to do it, you know, And, and you remembering that it's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. And so it's that here I am, send me Lord, like whatever it is that you have for me, I'm going to do it. Like open the door and I will walk through it. It's scary because you don't know what it is, but (laughs) yeah, that's what I think about. Yeah. I think I would echo what both of you said. I think so much of what the call is simple is follow me. Mm -hmm. It's join Mm -hmm. with me. It's co-labor with me. It's create with me. It's and then I think, what is our purpose? It's to love like God loved. It's yes. to love God and love neighbor. And you can do that yeah. in millions of different ways, anywhere and everywhere you are. That's yeah. right. That's good. I mean, so like, I think so often we think it's one, like one or two really specific things and anything and everything we do in this garden of life, if done with the intention of loving God and loving neighbor and loving self could be part of that call and living into that purpose. I think yeah. sometimes we want it to be like really specific and really magical. And I think right. sometimes it's. And, and m- most times yeah. pretty really mundane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's, I think that takes off a lot of pressure. Um, you know, that when Jesus says that, that my burden is light and, and, and my yoke is easy, it's still a burden and it's still a yoke. Uh, I mean, that's mm-hmm. very clear, but I think what it takes off, what Jesus is taking off there is the pressure to try to make things work out the way they need to work out, which I think is what a lot of times we think of when we think of our call and purpose. God's already done that. Like in Christ, the story's over. Our, our job now is to live into that vision that we receive in Jesus Christ. And again, I think the original vision of what we see in the Garden of Eden um, and that that's going to play back. We're going to talk about that when we get to Lent and what the new Jerusalem looks like. But uh, spoiler alert for Lent. But uh, this whole idea that that we have to figure things out and we have to make things work out is, I think, one of the other things that uh, bring a lot of confusion and chaos into people's minds when they're thinking about how what am I called to do? What does God want me to do? Yeah. I think, like you said, God wants me to be faithful. Right? God wants me to love others as He has loved me, which is hard and a sacrificial. And is unconditional, and um, we're not very good at that, which is why it takes the Holy Spirit and a community in order to do that. But and something you always say, James, is you know, if you're looking for somewhere to go in Scripture, right? The easy thing is if Jesus was doing it, we should be doing it. And I think a lot of times we think about Jesus as this, you know, really huge, magnificent, you know, character that had, you know, this massive call, right? He did this great, amazing thing. He died for us. Yes, all that. But like his actual life. Like you're saying, yeah. very simple, right? He's eating with people, washing people's feet, like all like 
you know, teaching people how to fish, right? Like this, <laughs> these are all very, very simple things. Right. It's not, it's not big and grandiose like we think. And I know we like to, some of us in the church world maybe like to make a little bit of, um, maybe we, I don't want to say make fun of, but we kind of like, we roll our eyes and take a little bit of, of a breath when we hear Corinthians 13 again, like, oh, what is love? You know, love is patient and love is kind and love does not envy and love does not keep a record of wrong. But that is what yes. love is. And I think in this week, James, when you invite us to think about what what is God's unconditional love for us at all times and in yes. all seasons when we're at our best and at our worst, like if what we're called to do is to be like Jesus, to love in the day in and day out of work and grocery store runs and cooking and laundry and yeah. decision making and bill paying well then we need to be patient and yeah. kind right, and yeah. not keep a record of wrong yeah. which doesn't mean you don't keep boundaries right, um, right. which i would be curious um if we want to take a little pivot, I thought one of the interesting you words you chose was hedge. Yeah. That God hedges us. And I would wondered how you kind of got to that word and why you picked hedge <laughs> over something else and um, how that maybe connects with the importance of love having some boundaries to them sure, that yeah. keep us safe. Um, that's a great question. So uh, let me confess. Primarily, I start started with just a bunch of words that have something to do with gardening, <laughs> and then Fair kind enough. of allowed the Holy Spirit to to discern how it was going to fit together into uh, into some kind of uh, ordered <laughs> uh, thought. But um, in, in my thinking with hedge, uh, I am thinking about it in terms of, and I've had a lot of people ask me about what even is a hedge, and and. Um, but I am thinking primarily as, as setting a space of protection and safety, um, as a space where we are free to be who we need to be, who we're called to be and fulfill that purpose. Um, and I'm thinking about it in terms of how the garden is hedged from the rest of the world. And so even, even as God has created um, and, and, and spoke into chaos and created the entire world, the entire world is God's creation, he's also set aside this special space um, to plant Adam and, and then to, and to then create Eve uh, and then create this community that is kind of like his vision. And you can think about that in terms of a lot of different ways, I think. But um, this, is, this is how we see God operating throughout all of Scripture, is that he creates this garden for, for Adam and Eve, but then he creates a people for the people of Israel. He creates a hedge there as well. And this is done out of, this is done out of God's love that you were just describing out of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and then the, there's a creation of the church is also a hedge. But th those, that, those, those are just three examples of what I think could be many, many different examples of God's love hedging us in. The, the point being that there is no time in which we can be outside of that hedge of God's love. Like there is nothing we can do. There is nothing that we can uh, say or feel or do. Um, and no matter how much we don't think we deserve it or how much we think we do sometimes, uh, we can't fall outside of what God has already prepared for us, which is it was just a huge, huge. And even when Adam and Eve are, are forced to leave the garden, God doesn't he doesn't leave the hedge of God's love. Right. It just takes on a different form. Um, there's a sense in which you can talk about all of Earth as Garden of Eden and that we're all been placed here, hedged from the coldness of space. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Does that get into a little bit of what you're talking about? No, I think that's really interesting. I mean, when I think of like formal gardens, they usually are kind of hedged 
or walled off. But I do think um, one of the things I've experienced in my own life and in the life of others is most people, their love can thrive and grow when they feel safe yeah. and secure. Um, and there's a reason why we call it a sanctuary. Yeah. Um, it is a, it's intended to be a safe place, but not everyone has always experienced home or church as safe. Yeah. And so what does it mean um, to help create truly intentional, safe places yeah. to be loved? Yeah, um, that's a good word. It is. And we're thinking about that in physical spaces, but I, I really do think that there, when we think about, again, getting back to our call and purpose and the meaning that we have as disciples, the confidence that we can have to go out into the world and to do the things that we are called to do, to be the people that we're supposed to be, to risk loving others and to uh, engage in relationship and, and to be sacrificial. All of that confidence comes from the fact that we know at the end of the day, we are safe in God's love and that there is, um, there is a larger story being played out that we're just a small piece of. Um, and that confidence comes from, from knowing that, you know, that God loves us in ways that we can't even fathom. We talked about, you mentioned, um, and we talk about it here in, in the devotional this week, that, that the only commandment that Jesus gives in the book of John is to love each other as, uh, as he loved us. And I like that kind of tweaking of what is considered to be, you know, the golden rule or the, or the, the commandment that Jesus gives in the other three gospels, which is to love your, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and, and Jesus tweaks that because he realizes, I think, in John anyway, that we don't really know how to love ourselves. We're not very good at that. So to love your neighbor as yourself doesn't really get us very far because we're not very That's loving very toward true. ourselves uh, very often. Um, so I do love my neighbor as myself. I just don't love myself particularly well. And we tend to either underdo it or overdo it. Yeah. Very, we rarely do we get it just right, like that kind of Goldilocks. Like we right. either over-love so ourselves yeah. in mm. ways that are unhealthy and unproductive and or we under love ourselves like yeah. we tend to hit the extremes that never that as a methodist i would say that good mm-hmm. middle middle ground, middle right. ground. Yeah. And I, that's part of part of learning how to love others as 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 jesus has loved us is to learn how to love ourselves through the eyes of god mm-hmm. rather than through our own kind of inept ability to to see to be patient and kind and and all those things that that john, uh, john the first corinthians 13 mentions and I think it goes back to what you said, Catherine. It's about um, we have to understand what makes us feel safe. I mm. think that's a huge part of it, right? That's a feeling safe yeah. gets us to that place. And we have to know what makes us feel that way and be willing to speak it to others. And I appreciate that. Um, I do think that's one of the great things about our prayer chapel for those mm-hmm. who haven't maybe been in it in a while. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. you come into that prayer chapel, I think it, there are a couple of things about it that I do think make it feel safe. One, it is quiet and it is never crowded. Um, and it is set apart, um, but it has really thick walls. Yeah. It's something I've noticed, I think, is that Jerusalem stone gives it really <laughs> thick walls. But around the top, there is the inscription, and it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Yeah. Um, and what, how does, I think for me, I've noticed how my life has shifted when I find my safety and my security in my relationship with Christ. Like that is where I'm safe. I'm not safe in my bank account or in my job or in my relationships. Now those are helpful and those certainly can give a lot of safety because I, I can, I I know people who don't have those things and they feel less safe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there is something when you can say like, I am safe in who I am because I know 
who Christ created me to be is good yeah. and worthy and lovable. And I think so many people sadly don't find themselves to be yeah. lovable. We were talking about this in our disciple group that, you know, we live in a re- relatively safe environment, like overarchingly. Yeah, there's yeah. there's war and there's famine and there's gun violence and there's crazy drivers out there. I mean, there <laughs> there's cancer. Today. Yeah, right. But there are <laughs> things that are scary. But like overall, mm-hmm. we live in a pretty safe environment. But like statistically, anxiety and depression is higher than it's ever been. So yeah. people don't feel mm-hmm. safe and like and don't feel lovable and don't feel loved and like yeah. why like um, and what does how is Jesus so counterculture to that or yeah. so different that, that Christ love like Christ showing up um, is so different than that in Advent that, yeah. like we're preparing for someone who wasn't powerful wasn't mighty wasn't well known wasn't yeah, right. a ruler like shows up and flips the narrative on. One of the, I think it's maybe it's Wednesday in the devotional, James, you talk about the genealogy that Matthew yeah. gives us. And um, I was reading Scott Erickson's Advent devotional, and he also talks about that and about how we all these all these pictures of all these characters in the Bible that are crummy. You know, they're, they, you know, they do terrible things and, you know, it's, it's not the pristine picture of morality and, you know, joy and, you know, all the wonderful things that we think of that we should be as human beings. Right. You know, it's like some of these characters are pretty sketch. All those and, kings you can't announce. Right. Yeah, exactly. And they are part of this genealogy. They're part of this family that right. we are born into, that Christ is born into. And some of that, the point is, is that there's, there is weakness and there is vulnerability and there is imperfection and Christ comes to us anyways in all of that. Yeah. You know, Christ meets us in that as this little creature that, you know, I mean, we think about it, our God was d- attached to the body of a, what, 14-year-old girl for nine <laughs> months, like d- completely dependent on this human body. Like our God yeah. did that, right? Our God put him, put God's self in that place. Like that's incredible. Yeah. That is the ultimate sacrifice of vulnerability. Like it's okay to be weak, you know, because if God right. can do it, we can do it. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, and that's something that we overlook, I think, so often. We talk about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's good. We should talk about that. Uh, and the resurrection, all all very important, key and central, in fact. But the first sacrifice that God makes is is to become one of us, uh, in Emmanuel, God with us, right? That's how desperately God wants to be in relationship with us. That's how desperately God wants to walk with us, like he walked with Adam in the cool of the day in the in Garden of Eden. He would willing willingly empty himself of the divine nature, uh, rather than try to grasp for it like Adam and Eve do, he empties himself and he becomes one of us. And and that kind of vulnerability, it's a good word for it, is is the display of the love, I think, that, Catherine, you were talking about in the sense of, you know, how do we get past some of this chaos of anxiety and depression and stuff that is running rampant in the world, but it, particularly here in our own community. I mean, it's pretty pretty bad. Uh, maybe it starts with... with um, with realizing that being vulnerable and being in a vulnerable place is, is okay. Like, and maybe the vulnerability to even just confess, like I am anxious. I am depressed. I am, uh, I need of help, right? I need to talk to somebody and those kinds of things. Um, that's, um, that's a huge, huge part of what it means to love as Christ loves. I think it was also really helpful for me when I could get my mind around the fact that while scripture doesn't say it, I believe it to be true. 
that while God sent his only son, Jesus chose to come. Mm. Like that Jesus was willing to be made flesh. I I do believe that Jesus made flesh had a choice. Like I do believe so strongly in free will that like there's probably like if the book was a little longer and we could add a few more (laughs) verses, like one I would add would be and Jesus chose to be as weak and vulnerable as a babe who would have to be cared for by a mother and a father and who would have to hide in Egypt and who would have to yeah. eat fish and chips on the seaside. Like that that Jesus loves us that much yeah. and he would choose to come and risk it all like for us. Well, let me, let me give you some scripture, Catherine, because I think the Bible does say that. Um, it doesn't say it in the gospel stories, but in, in the Philippians passage, which I was kind of alluding to a second ago, um, Paul says, this is Philippians chapter two, uh, starting with verse five. And you guys heard this many, many times, but this is um, part of my favorite passage in the whole New Testament. He actually means it this time. Yeah. He says that a lot. I but mean it this time. I think this time he actually means but, it. Uh, it yeah, Paul says, uh, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind, the, the, in other words, the same will, the same decision-making capacity that Jesus Christ had, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being born in human likeness. I think that, I mean, I think that's your answer. I think that's, you see that God makes the decision. Christ makes the decision himself. The word of God makes the decision himself. This is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do. So I don't know if that helps. That feels different for me. It's one thing to say like, oh, well, God sent his son because God knew you needed it. But another thing for Jesus to say, like, I choose to show up because I love you a wreck. Like, you with yes. tears running down your face, like sitting in your car crying, like in the grocery store parking lot. Like I choose you yeah, at your best and at your worst. I choose you when you're like knocking it out of the park and doing amazing in relationship and amazing at work and amazing at school. But I also choose you when like you can't figure out if you're eating cereal for dinner yeah. or a cheese stick. Like I choose you. Like yeah. if you're healthy or unhealthy, I choose you. And like. There's something really powerful about being chosen. Like yes. we all wanted to get chosen for like the dodgeball team, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that God says, "I choose." Like the God of creation, like I choose you. Yeah. I love you that much. I choose you. That's it. It can change your paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. On how you view yourself. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even like God chooses us and loves us when you said it. When we're at our worst, when we're at our best. It, if we rob a bank, you know, God still loves you just as much, right? If you murder somebody you know i'm I'm listing terrible things that we do and 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 we can think of terrible people who do terrible things god loves them just as much that's the other thing as he also chose you and not just me right (laughs) doesn't like it wants to correct (laughs) you yes but that's the way willing to redeem you willing to give you boundaries and consequences (laughs) like god is a god of consequences that's true that's very true because sometimes the most loving thing is to say stop you're hurting yourself yes i mean sometimes the most loving thing to say to a child is that could actually hurt you don't touch the hot frying pan or don't run into the street or put pants on (laughs) i mean and i think that's something really important like because i think that's something that folks struggle with in the old testament like god can seem mean or harsh or um, angry and I'm like God's worried that humanity is going to like destroy itself yes, right. and that's done out of love like meet a parent or a teacher or a coach who is really it, it's, yeah. it's boundaries out of love yeah and yeah. utter I think frustration with yeah and that's I mean that's in the scripture too right that God disciplines out of love and that's the reason why those things happen I mean 
I think that's another way to talk about the concept of a hedge, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, it's a boundary. Yeah. It's a line. It's a line. Um, and it's a line that, 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 that I don't know. It, it's, it's weird. It's cause it's, it is a, it is a hedge. It is a boundary. It is a kind of a, here's, here's where God has placed us and here's where we sit. But we can't get outside of that hedge. Like there is nowhere you can go where you can be outside the hedge of, of which makes it kind of um, almost pointless, right? You would have no point in having a hedge that had no <laughs> actual functionality to it, but that's just how abundant God's love is um, and just how much uh, we can see that, particularly as, as he is, is willing to be born as a baby boy in Bethlehem. Folks don't like the notion that God's love is reckless. Like that was a really popular song in the last few mm-hmm. years, or that God's love is irrational, mm-hmm. or that God's love is illogical, or mm-hmm. that God's love is wasted. Yeah. How do you all feel about those terms? Because I'll just ask it that way. How do you all feel yeah. about those concepts that God's love might be reckless or wasted or irrational or extravagant or... I think um, God's love is reckless in the sense that it is overflowing and abundant, but God's love is also directed, and it's an ordering force, right? So when we think of something being reckless or uh, wasted or was the word you used, like irrational, we think about that in chaotic terms because when we do stuff like that, that's exactly what happens, right? But God's love is, is an ordering love, and so to be so abundant and reckless with it is actually, a, uh, you know, paradoxically is an ordering force, in our lives, in the universe? I think it's uh, worldly definitions of those terms. Oh, that's good. Right? Because, I mean, like you're saying, we have a we have an idea of what it means to be worthy and to be lovable, right? And God does not love like that. God does not use Thank God. those definitions <laughs> to choose to love us. And I think in that sense, yeah, that's when it becomes reckless. And it does. It makes us uncomfortable because, like you said, we think of being reckless as all those chaotic things. And, yeah. you know, you made the wrong decision or it's not worthy. It's not right. But God does not... God does not have our imagination. He's got much better one. Did you want to sing this song for us, Catherine? Y'all do not want me to sing the song. I'm going to offer y'all that gift. <laughs> of not singing. Of not singing, but I'm sure we can ask uh, Matt Jackson or Michael Devine. You know, or Michael Devine has no problem jumping on and singing. I love and it. I, and I love it, yeah. But I, I will say I like redeeming those words. I do. Yeah. I like what yes. both of you have said, that I think just God's ways are not our ways. And because God works out of abundance versus scarcity, yes. that God God has storehouses that we can't understand of abundance of grace and abundance of love and that that there's no notion of waste in God's yeah. Yeah. When it comes to love and forgiveness and grace, I like, and so God can be reckless because God has an abundance of it and God gets to choose how God is extravagant. Yeah. Something that I have a hard time with, but I think it relates to this is remembering that it is that extravagant and reckless and wasteful love that changes people, right? Because as humans, and I I tend to, you know, we go to that scarcity place and someone has done something that we don't like and, well, you know, you need to be punished for it or I can't do this for you because you didn't do this for me or, you know, you're angry or all those like human reactions. But, and I have experienced this in my life when you are, because deep down inside, we know when we're being 
we're being icky. Like we, we do know. Yeah. And if you have the privilege of experiencing another human being, being able to love you despite that, that is the thing that changes you. Yeah. I mean, yes, we are human. We have a right to get angry. We have a right to get mad. We have a right to draw boundary lines. But at the end of the day, like it is that reckless love that is going to change someone. It's not the other stuff, you know, and that's what God offers us. I think that's exactly right. Um, and that's really hard to keep in mind. But it, yeah. also, it also reminds me of Christmas Carol, which is, you know, other than the Bible is my favorite Christmas story. Right. That's not in the Bible. Maybe maybe think about putting it in there someday. But uh, they, you know, what, what the problem was the canon. <laughs> uh, yeah. When we renegotiate the canon here in a couple centuries. But um, the story of Scrooge is, is one that oftentimes you, you hear that story and you think, well, it's him seeing him as a gravestone at the end that, that converts him radically, changes him, right? But I think the whole process of going through all three ghosts, he, what he learns is, um, slowly, what he learns is that his entire love has been directed only at himself. Catherine, like you were talking about before, and what he has missed out on because he's only directed love at himself is that the abundance of reckless love that's been thrown his way throughout his life, not only in the past, but in the present, right? And then what happens when that reckless love is gone at the end and it's just him in a grave? Uh, and so what changes him is not just the scene where he sees his gravestone. I don't know that that would really change anybody. At the end of the day, we all know we're going to die. But what changes is that he, he, what the ghosts do is they direct his vision toward the love that's been part of his life that he missed because of him, of, you know, this reckless love that's been thrown at him. Um, because he was so directed at himself, yeah, you know, and that, I think that happens to all of us. I think that we all get caught up in that myopia of, of thinking about what this means for me and, and the love that we have of ourselves that maybe we don't even realize that we've missed out on sometimes on the reckless love that not only God throws at us, but other people yeah. in our lives. I think so much of my daily challenge is shifting my lens of how I, I'm so often just looking at what's right in front of me. Yeah. yeah, like the it's the next email, it's the next phone call, it's the next decision, it's the next meal, it's the next set of laundry, it's the next. And I forget like the grand scope of all that's working behind the scenes, all the ways yeah. that God is working in my favor, all the ways that God is revealing that prevenient grace and love. Like it's from sunrise to sunset to the air I breathe to like all the things that I have been gifted that I just take as privilege yeah yeah i mean like that and if i can just sh like take the lens if i can shift the lens and see like all that is given to me out of love like the places where other people acted graciously and kindly and yeah. compassionately and extravagantly and they didn't have to like yeah. every yeah. grocery store worker and a hospital worker and teacher and person on 400 my perspective would be so different it would be right and those little moments, I mean, I was listening to something, I guess it was on NPR on the way home yesterday. They were talking about little moments of um, generosity or grace, little moments of love or whatever. I think they're doing a series on that They're doing a series, yeah. 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 And, and, and they were talking about just these little moments that have radical change on people's lives. And some famous piano concert player who's been doing music for 50 years or whatever is talking about how when he was a kid, he had this really tough and uh, just awful piano teacher who was trying to teach him how to play piano. And he decided that he was done with it because she just she was just mean. And so he quit. He told his parents, I quit. And they were like, cool. And then he quit. And then she ends up running into him somewhere. And she's like, I really think that you should like come back. And you're not ready to be on your own yet. You need to learn how to play a little bit more or whatever. 
And it was that one little moment of her just recognizing him as a human being because he didn't really feel like she did before <laughs> that he was like, all right, cool, I'll come back. And he was like, I don't even know why I went back other than the fact that she was kind to me. And she ends mm. up, you know, becoming one of his good friends and mentors. And wow. and he goes into professional music, which he went to Juilliard. And then, you know, 50 years he does music. And it's just that one moment of recognition, love, you could even say, you know, yeah, uh, that completely radically changed his life. And those we don't never know. We never know when we're in moments right. like that, you know. And I wonder if that's our invitation. I mean, I mean, as you say that, I mean, I think that's the challenge I've heard in this conversation. One is to like celebrate the places where I see. I mean, and, and you invite us this week to like name where we've seen love and like families of origin, or where we see kind of love in different places. Like, where has our family set yeah. us up to experience mm-hmm. this love? But I do think if I had a takeaway. One of the things I would like to do is like to be mindful of how can that simple, simple act of love and kindness and generosity and compassion, the kind word, the extra moment, the um, the extra attention, the, you know, particularly to the stranger, like how that could change someone's day. I mean, how that really could maybe change their life, maybe change their perspective. And when we get so wrapped up in this busy season, like how can I take so how can I create margin in my own life to offer that margin and that love to someone else like if and yeah and we have to create it like i mean and so i think like i'm just trying to think like where are some places where i can if i leave a little earlier or i linger a little longer if i take a little more time or have a little extra money where i can be intentional to do the the little kind things like not the extravagant like not the hundred million thousand dollars or (laughs) you know Four weeks of intentionality, just like five minutes here or fifty dollars yeah. there, that yeah. would show someone that they that they are loved yeah. by God, um, and because He first loved us, how are we called to love others? Amen. As my grandma used to say, sometimes you're the only Jesus people will ever see. Thanks, grandma. <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for uh, having me, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining thank us, you. and uh, guys, we will see you next week. <laughs>